As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version I'm never gonna give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up you're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. How's it going? Hey, how's everyone doing today? Thank you for tuning in. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of Black Male Mental Health on the Tom Ficklin Show, the Tom Ficklin Network. Shout out to Tom. Um, I am one of the hosts, Frank E. Brady. Uh, it's my esteemed colleague, Dr. De- Donald McCauley Jr. And we are looking forward to having a really dope discussion today. Uh, this is a part two of a discussion we started last week, you know, on the topic of black male mental health. Do anything you want to add over it? No, I think I think we're good. I think we where we left off at, uh, we, we were unfinished. And so the unfinished work we're here today to dive into the topic again, um, answering some of the questions still continue to unpack. We got great feedback um, from many of the viewers on social media. So I appreciate the support for independent radio, um, Tom Flicklin show, um, and continue to do the same thing. So how do you want to kick it off? Perfect. So, um, you know, just to kind of restate the importance of the topic, um, Black male mental health is a subject matter that has increasingly gotten a lot of attention in the media, um, has gotten a lot of attention in the education space, has started to get attention in the workspace. And this is really prime time to really continue to tackle and unpack this topic from different facets and, you know, Based on some current events, based on some events around the city of New Haven um, that have recently happened, I would like to start off really diving into how Black men process emotions when it comes to loss and how that impacts us as Black men. You asked me the question? Oh, no, I'm just saying that. Okay. What, are, what are you talking about? Right? So we recently lost. Um, an amazing young man um, known as Mango. His first name is Michael, right? But everybody knows him as Mango. He's an artist, also known as Young Clean. Um, I had the opportunity to work with Michael. His real name is Michael. Um, I had the opportunity to work with Michael at Wilbercross High School uh, around, I'd say, 10 years ago. You know, I had just get, gotten to the role of doing culture and climate work. And Michael was a part of a program that myself and um, president of diversity and inclusion was also a sociology professor, Don Sawyer over at Quinnipiac University had had created. The program was called the Crossroads Collective and it focused on teaching black males how to develop critical thinking skills and critical media literacy skills specifically towards how they process media and music. So Michael was a part of that program. And a lot of these young black males had issues processing emotions. Um, They were 
and you know, for the lack of better words, written off by administration and you know, um, verge of not graduating. So Michael was part of that inaugural class that myself and Don facilitated, primarily Don and I, you know, supported facilitation of the class and activities. You know, he was recently um, gunned down in, in New Haven. And that, that incident really has shaken the whole city, um, has shaken the community. You know, I'm sure his family is devastated, but that young man had a lot of love in this city, you know? So when we're talking about loss and how it affects us as black males, you know, there are two ways that I have seen it affect. And I'm looking, I'm even utilizing what's happened, right? You know, the loss of the tragic loss of um, Michael. For many black males, there's a road of emotional suppression, right? Where you will hold in your emotional responses, um, not articulating it, not verbalize it, not get it out, you know? Um, you will also disassociate. Um, to disassociate means to disconnect from something that may come as painful or traumatic, right? Now, when you're disassociating, there's disassociation that happens when you're utilizing different substances, alcohol, drugs, or sex to disconnect, to put some distance between the incident that happened, what it's bringing up for you in how you are feeling, right? In this current space and time, you know, with a lot of the young men that I've worked with, mentored over the years, I'm seeing that happen, um, the disassociation and the emotional suppression, you know? And what is also important to note when we talk about black males and essentially like dealing with loss and grief, it, comes from a place at times of shutting down, right? And when you shut down on those things, all you're, all we truly do when we shut down is give us ourselves another opportunity to run back into the same thing because you, whatever you shut down from, you're generally gonna run back into in another area of your life, um, in other relationships, uh, it affects you. But that shutting down when it comes to dealing with loss is generally from my perspective, how we've been taught to survive loss, right? If I shut down and numb it, I don't have to feel it. I don't have to um, deal with it. If I disassociate and disconnect with it, I don't have to feel it because what happens is oftentimes when loss happens, there's a cascade of emotions that can come about. And then there's a lot of probably issues and things that have already been suppressed prior to the loss. So then it's kind of like you're shaking the hornet's nest and you don't want that hornet's nest to be further shaken. So you cry and create distance from it. That's something I know that I personally done. Um, even with this situation, it's very difficult. But creating that distance from the loss, the grieving is a very um, consistent practice that we're taught to do, you know, as black men as a way to survive that loss, right? And 
especially for many young black males, loss becomes something that becomes numbing. And for some folk, for some black men, you you lose so many folks, or you're you're used to so much tragedy that you you numb now, and now it's hard to access those emotions in general. And then it's a deregulation of the emotional system because we're supposed to process things, right? We're supposed to process um, life, process experiences, so that we can grow and develop, um, so that we can move forward, but when we're not able to do that, or we choose not to do that because we don't want to feel the initial pain of it or the ripping off of the Band-Aid, you know, then our systems get, you know, out of regulation. When I say deregulated, it's out of regulation. It means our nervous systems become shifted and affected and impacted, right? Um, and looking at the situation that we're dealing with right now, and again, rest in peace to Michael, um, so many of the young men are dealing with this, the, the disassociation, the disconnection, the emotional suppression, right? Um, the avoidance, you know, or leaning into different ways to cope, whether it is through alcohol or whether it is to other substances. And this is what I'm getting on the, the ground floor right now, because, you know, the other piece that we, we think about when it comes to how we deal with loss is how we be perceived when we show that emotion, when we allow ourselves to be the vulnerable part of loss, right? The vulnerability that you tap into when you acknowledge someone that you love is no longer here. The memories of that person live on with you, but there's still the pain of that person, and especially if that person dropped dies in a traumatic way, like Wango was murdered. Um, it leaves you in a state of shock, right? Super, super state of shock. Um, these are, what so, are your thoughts? So I, I, obviously I'm very talkative. So mm -hmm. it's important as, as I acknowledge the work that we're doing right now and here in the podcast and those that are viewing it, that black male vulnerability is an important thing. And so um, we have seen local violence, institutional violence, um, mass killings across across this country and in other spaces. And so um, we we originally came to the platform not just to address the significance of uh, black male mental health and finding positive coping strategies, but also unpacking the complexities around those specific challenges. Um, as, as my calls here suggest that it's the idea of loss, um, respectfully, respectfully to all those that are in the, um, hip hop pedagogy and understanding the culture, the language and the expression that mainstream society has cast black males in, in a unique and significant way that becomes somewhat detrimental. Um, and so how we have language, how we understand pain, how we articulate pain, um, and what's available and, and what we have access to and the things that are somewhat inaccessible based on our masculinity, based on societies and ideas. And I, I gotta be honest that we've seen it so much 
and the work that we do sometimes not tiresome, but also you feel drained to try to figure out what's the best way I should present myself um, to show up, to mentor. Um, it's a difficult process and unpacking ideas around black criminality, um, ideas around black misandry. What does it mean for black men to feel loved and cared for? How do they articulate those specific things um, in their relationships and spaces? Um, and I, I think I'll start the, the question. It's like laws. How do we understand and deal with loss? And whether it's something as brutal as what we what we were experiencing now, but loss in general. And and I and I say that because. One of the complexities of um, my experience, maybe some others, um, not generalizing, um, but the idea of loss and how do we process loss? Because in the conversation that we have offline, loss builds character, but it's destructive. And it, it, it puts us in many places where there's a challenge to Think about what is a safe space to cope? What is a safe space to articulate one's feelings? What are supportive realities? How do folks come in? Um, I, do, I do recognize that many of us have villages. But the reality is that I would love for the village to be more collective in terms of understanding the nuance that everyone needs to feel supported so that they can be strong and in the next journey. Um, but it, it's difficult, loss is difficult. Um, we we talk, talked about um, normal so, social interactions with black males. When is it okay to, to take a loss? And I remember us talking about the difficulty of losing mm -hmm. and not winning. Um, how, do we, how do we understand that, how we experience it and I think I'm I'm very open to saying what my losses have have transpired and how they have transformed me into being or becoming the person that I want to be. Um, but we know that you're in the system that you're you're not always going to win, right? Um, and accepting those realities versus like not victimizing, not saying that there are not struggling systems, they're not going to be hurdles. Um, but do I have the skills necessary to be able to battle, to take a loss, to transform and not be subverted or converted into something that I don't wanna be, I'm jaded, um, angry, um, uh, misunderstood. And so that becomes that the cascade of the emotions, um, those consequential things about personality and behavior and then now this is an identity that that folks kind of have have pre pre-imposed on certain individuals. So I, I ask the question to you as as you're expressing grief. Um, how do you talk to people about loss and, and, and navigating space? You know, I think what's important here you're talking about loss. 
I, I do talk, but I do a lot of listening and I ask a lot of questions because I feel like when you're talking to someone about loss, be it like a traumatic loss, be it a personal loss, be it a professional loss, just loss in general, there's a lot of listening that needs to happen. So you could create a context, kind of like a framework and that you can use to respond to that person or the individuals or that group. You have to do a lot of it's almost like collecting data. Like you have to understand where that person is coming from, what impacted that person, how has that person been impacted by the loss? What what is the what is that cascade effect of the loss for them? Right? Like, you know, it's kind of like a domino effect. What's been the domino effect? Okay, this impacted you. Now, what did that throw off? What did that interrupt? What behaviors now did that shift in your life because of this loss? Right? How is that impacting you, affecting you? So I do a lot of listening and I, I ask a lot of questions and I do a lot of listening. Um, and I, I think that it's important to do that because, you know, when you're talking to someone about loss and what they're experiencing, you want to make sure, I'll say, let me not project, I do my best to make sure that when they, you know, person's being heard, the group is being heard and understood first and foremost. And then I could ask the guiding questions to help that person like figure out what's the best way for them to cope. All right. So so it looks like perfect. I, we haven't had this before. So we have, actually have a, uh, a, a Facebook uh, viewer, uh, Ms. Jasmine Varga, um, asks a specific question, right? Like, do Black men have a safe space? Um, I'm going to let you answer it first. You, I mean, we, you and me have talked about this before, but um how how you want to tackle that i can i can go first if you want yeah you start that off okay all right marinate. so i would argue that black maleness is it's not monolithic and so identifying those specific spaces so monolithic is not a singular idea like this is what we should be doing what we shouldn't be doing um but the conversations around where do we feel safe at is, is complex. And, and, and I'm not saying this to be anecdotal, um, but also to answer the question, there are times that we talk about barbershops as safe spaces, but there are also times that I've, we've been at barbershops that the barbershop is not safe right now. How we show up in our identity, how we show up um, in our experiences, how do we, practice masculinity. I, I just got up a call earlier today just about how fortunate and blessed I am to be around uh, an array of uh, Black men that are supportive of me, uh, me watching the work that they've done, um, but also allowing me to be authentic in myself and also recognizing that there's challenges. I do not fundamentally believe that there is a safe space. Um, my argument would be that we have institutional policies, institutional issues um, that on a, on a scale cast those who identify as black men at a lower scale. If they're able to capitulate or assimilate in certain cultures, there could be a level of safety, but specifically as we're having conversations about that individual's um, personal safety and mental health, to capitulate to a society that does not accept you authentically 
creates cognitive dissonance. Individuals are, are balancing, juggling themselves, juggling society that wants them to be in a specific way. And their observations is go back to, we can go back to the double consciousness, W.E.B. Du Bois, but let's exponentially now. How do I exist in space? How do they understand? And where can I get some a level of safety? As an athlete, I would say that there are many Black boys and Black men that recognize sport as a safe space. But in really interrogating those, it's not as safe as you think it is. Um, the culture of sport, the type of masculinity that's accepted in sport, um, and just to just to bring it in so that you can get to your point, to to not allow yourself to be yourself for your positionality to not be accepted, your subjectivity is not to be accepted. It's personally un, unsafe to to not be able to exist, be genuine, express yourself in certain ways without those spaces being interrogated in ways that produce. I deserve criminality, disposition, oppositional. Um, and I think that's that's a that's a hard thing to unpack. Do I feel safe? Yes. But it's almost because I've had enough mentorship to have spaces to have confidence, mm -hmm. to understand that I have support. Mm -hmm. Um, but understanding that it's a slippery slope. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think to answer um, Ms. Vargas's question, do black men- Varga. Varga, my apologies. I'm going to be begging, I'm sorry. Apologies. Yeah, yeah. Jasmine is the first name, right? Yes. Answer that, to reply to that question. Um, this, the barbershop has for, long, for a long time been considered the, the central safe space for black men, right? Sports considered a safe space of expression for black men or, or a coping mechanism for black men, right? But to your point, safe spaces for Black men are created through relationships. So they're not necessarily like institutions in like physical places, associations. They're more so it's relationship based, right? It's, you know, so Black men do have safe spaces that they have individuals they trust that can, they can be open and honest with. Right. I think it, it's more of a people focused approach when it comes to us as black men, like. Trust, um, the vulnerability piece, the credibility, like are you know, safe spaces are people. Are you who you a safe space for a black man looks like, are you who you say you are? Right. Can I trust you with my vote? Can I trust you with this information? Am I watching you? Am I watching how you do other people, right? Am I watching how you do other people when you're upset? Because what you do when you are upset with someone else, you will likely possibly do to me if I get you upset enough. I'm, all right, I'm gonna complicate this. So in, in answering the question and really unpacking the idea of safe space, I, I, I think about my own personal experience and many of the places that black men identify as, as safe, are hidden spaces. The, the complicated thing about that is, what does it mean to hide? Why do I have to hide? 
And I would answer the question that one's success, one's um, achievements are hidden because black male success is dangerous and in a, in a larger society. Whether it means that folks believe that their confidence, arrogance will run amok, their machismo, the bravado will allow them to have more um, um, sexist views. Um, but I, I always have this thing about in the midst of success, how do I humble myself so that I'm not able to sit in, in my success? Even, even in the safe spaces, can you really be good? Can you, are you allowed to be as successful uh, and check off all the boxes without someone perceiving you as arrogant? Um, because it, I think, they, I think they, they, they swing on a scale where if you're too successful, you're disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if, if you're not successful, but you, you have a past, then you're non-compliant to, mm-hmm. to, to society. So I, I say it's hard to specifically define um, a safe space, actually as a physical space. Um, obviously, I run, I run back to the church. Mm-hmm. So how do I find solace? How do I find refuge? How do I find my divine calling? Um, what is my mission? How do I walk in my mission? How do I walk in my work? Um, and for me, that's always been a safe space. Um, I, I've told you before, if, if when the devil called, uh, I'm probably the wrong person to call because I'm going to I'm going to dive deeper into devotionals, mm-hmm. corporate prayer, Bible studies, and, and 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 really try to connect back to the space mm-hmm. because. Sometimes it is impossible to fight or um, try to have dialogue with a society that already has preconceived notions about who you are and who you aren't mm-hmm. without asking. And I, I think I show up to spaces and I'm very open to understanding um, people's differences, um, hopefully not being combative. I mean, I've heard that before, but hopefully not being combative and critical. I mean, it might be the Virgo that shows up, but um those are the challenges that you open yourself up to at least try to understand other spaces and a part of it as a survival because you're trying to fit in and learn right. about the space but right. no one is always trying to learn you mm-hmm. man see so that that right there i think that hits different and the reason I think for me that it's different is because I see safety again in people, right? I see safety in people. Every system that we're in, this society is, is a people-based society. Um, people, people propose the policies and the procedures. People create the processes that run our society, right? So a lot of the spaces of safety, again, for me, they, they, they come in relationships. You know, you can have an experience with someone in an organization um, that can shape your opinion of the organization, right? Like, you know, you can, we all have cell phones, 
you can have a great experience with a representative of T-Mobile that'll make you feel like T-Mobile is the best organization in the world. I love T-Mobile. You can have a crappy no sponsorship for T-Mobile. No sponsorship for T-Mobile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can have a crappy experience with a representative. You're like, I can't stand T-Mobile. See what they did to me, right? Like we as who we are as individuals comes out in whatever it is that we represent. Right, like our character as individuals, who we are, like that, that shows up. So we have the capacity to create safety, especially for black men, but it does come down to how we show up. Safe, safe spaces. I'll, I'll ask the question. Um, I have my own opinion about it. When we talk about Black men having the benefit of the doubt, whether it be court, whether it be school, whether it be outside, um, perception plays in, um, bias plays in. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you understand um, the benefit of the doubt? You as a person and also as a Black man. So when we're talking about just for clarifying, we're talking about benefit of the doubt. We're talking about it's more about it's more about is when when something transpires, do you have the um are you able to experience um optimism or pessimism? It's dependent. It's you know, I always say the word situational, right? Um, but when things happen, oftentimes. I would say generally I'm more pessimistic because I prepare for the worst, hope for the best, but I prepare for the worst. Do you get the benefit of doubt from the other? Not, not generally, not generally. Now, I mean, me as a black man, because of my reputation, I'll see the benefit of the doubt in general, but it took a while to get to that point. I had to do a lot of proving, right? Like I had to do a lot of laying the groundwork, establishing my reputation, but if I'm in a new space, I generally don't get the benefit of the doubt. New space that they don't know me, I haven't proven myself because a lot of when, when it comes to black men, I feel like we got to do a lot of proving, right, to get the benefit of the doubt because there's these automatic perceptions that are placed on us, these automatic labels, these automatic stereotypes, these automatic boxes, you know, that are, are placed on us. So in general, no, I don't. Do Outside of spaces, I'm not. No. So you mentioned stereotypes. Do you feel that it's necessary to avoid the stereotype, um, especially if things are some somewhat um, cultural mm-hmm. or are hardwiring? You can't avoid things that are hardwired into you. That's you have to. You can reprogram. That takes a lot of behavioral change modification. But you know, like, can you avoid survival? Yes, you know you can't avoid survival, right? You can, you could, but you have to change the behaviors that enable you to stay in the mindset of survival, right? You have to shift the behaviors because the behaviors will feed into the mindset. The actions feed into the thoughts. Thoughts impact the emotions. You know that whole cognitive trifecta. You know, so you can shift it, but it's it takes work, and if you don't have the awareness. And the language, right? The tools, the understanding of how to shift the behavior, 
you can fall right into those those very cycles that are stereotypical. Right. So, so, and I, and I, to your point, I, and I, and I mentioned, a, you said avoiding survival and mm-hmm. this could be triggering what I potentially could say is that there are individuals that have given up on their own personal self-worth. Um, meaning that they have given up on the idea of trying to survive the space. Um, and that whether it's immediate or long-term, they've checked out. Mm-hmm. And they now no longer participate um, in a large society in ways that are that are supportive, one, firstly, to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that that's a complex issue when you're in a space that sometimes wants you to do that. Mm-hmm. Because survival is a, is a fight or flight moment. Yeah. Um, and to survive in a hostile space. And again, not overgeneralized. There are some places that are that are welcoming, but there are more hostile spaces based on appearance and perceptions when one needs to be authentic to the culture and fabric to, to what's them. And I, and, I, and I say that point too, capitulating, assimilating provides a safety to other groups that becomes less hostile. That could be a, a, a survival coping strategy yeah um but when those say i mean that's the that's the bishop moment from jews was like when i stop caring about myself everybody is is available mm-hmm. um and and i and i've seen uh many of our young men in those spaces where the laws like for individuals to and big facts um seeing a mother cry, how, how reverberating it is. And I think even from our listeners, um, if they've heard it or not heard it, it, it resonates. There's so much deep pain. And I think a portion of the mental health pieces that I always focus on is, can you see a man cry? Can you understand when a black man is crying out when he's not actually crying? Does, does that pain specifically reverberate? And are there spaces that want to support it? And yes, you can go see the counselor, but in, you, in, your, in your network, because a therapist is about helping you to get to a point so that you can be functional versus what is your environment, what is your space, so that when you're crying out, someone's able to step in to provide comfort, to provide a hug, to provide encouragement, to change the person's specific mindset, um, I think becomes challenging because when you have, again, I'm not overusing the word black criminality or black male criminality or anti-black racism or anti-black maleness, that will they know you're hurting? And I think that's a very complicated thing where for successful men that are hurting in different ways, um, because they're doing well, they're unicorns and, and folks like they got they got everything yep. together. Yep. You probably would never ask them, how are you doing today? How are you holding up? And because the self-perception is that they have it together yeah. versus someone that's actually struggling yep. and then being like, well, he need to do better. Yep. That's the, the benefit of the doubt moment mm-hmm. of who's the person to do that? Who's the person to answer that call? Who's the person that wants to answer that call? Who's the person that wants to 
Who's the person the that's like available to answer that? Because these, because I think emotions are are realistic human realities. The dehumanization of black men provides spaces that they're not given the benefit of the doubt, um, or I can see practices that don't allow them to get the benefit of the doubt, um, and then and specifically be blamed for their demise. Mm-hmm. You know, that benefit of the doubt is like. When does Superman get to be Clark Kent? Like, when does Superman get to be Clark Kent? My boy Jay always talks about this, you know. I look at being a black man as having to show up as Superman all the time, but you won't accept my Clark Kent, right? There's not a safe space for me to be Clark, you know? And just because I'm a black man doesn't mean I'm bulletproof. You know, just because I'm super, yeah, and plus, yeah, Superman can take bullets, but does he always want to? Does he have to? Does he have to? You know, does does he have to? Have to. It's annoying to be shot at all the time, all the time. You're always getting things thrown at you, thrown on you, put into spaces, and you can't break. Because if you break, your whole your perception in the public is looked on as weak, right? So. You live with a cape on. You live with armor on. And that is difficult because when do you take it off? Who can you take it off around? You know? And I think that that's that that's the that's the piece, right? So if you can't take the armor off, you'll try and move with the armor on. So you'll capitulate to certain spaces, right? You'll shift yourself, you'll, you'll dumb yourself down, you'll try and fit into the boxes to be liked, to be accepted, right? However, you lose yourself in the process. To be black and male, can you ever be too good? Hmm. I think it's not a matter of being too good. I think it's being twice as good. You have to perform at a, a very high level um, let's just say where your counterparts, be they your white male counterparts, Caucasian counterparts, don't have to go at that level um, because access is more readily acceptable or accessible to them um, professionally, financially. You know, so I don't think it's being too good, but twice as good. So I asked the question, not twice as good. I mean but too good where it's like, hey, man, you're moving too fast. Slow. You, the, I, 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 I really want to try to, obviously we, we could probably get close in, but the emotional exhaustion of trying to be good um, and, and good in terms of these are my talents, this is what I do naturally versus trying to avoid being a stereotype falling in specific trends that groups will say oh i could see that yep but then your success is um i gotta do i gotta do more for the opportunity mm-hmm. and i mean i'll say the whole conversation about confidence and, and and capacity um why do i why is that i mean i understand why it's here it's not really a question that i have but i think that's the complexity of of waking up and knowing that how good can I be today? And 
me being good, does that put more of a target on my back to be successful? Who, who's going to be your army? I mean, you think, I, I think about frontline, like the frontline work. It's like, if you're the enforcer, then who's going to protect you? And that's why it goes back to the question um, from our, our viewer about um, safe spaces, because who's going to be your army? Who's going to protect you if you have to be the frontline person to, and again, it's not physical. So metaphorically, what is it like to be stoic? What is it like to show up and to clean? Or so I have a child, I have a son. And I think about, we don't, we don't do gender roles and, and, and gender norms. So cooking, cleaning, these are abilities that you have, not just out of necessity, not that someone else is supposed to do it, but when do we start talking about this nuance in one's masculinity? Because individuals, some are, are constrained into certain ideas, into certain roles and professions, um, and constrained in their abilities because maybe they haven't been taught. Um, maybe society, social media doesn't present these ideas, but to I think we've talked about it before, holistically, how do we see the black man evolve holistically against a, a, a constant, you say the word shooting, not just in the streets, but to take constant shots, to to clean, to own, to run your home, to manage your, to clean it, to everything, every, down to your empathy, to the hugs, to the kiss, to reading to the kids, um, and, and stepping outside the community and doing all those other things. Like, That's not what I mean. I was like, well, what is that? What do you want them to be? Because I just don't see other groups being held to those same standards in those specific ways. But I think that we become casualties of ideas of masculinity mm -hmm. that we have not self-constructed for ourselves. Yeah, we are definitely casualties of masculinity that we haven't constructed for ourselves. We're given scripts on what masculinity looks like and how to show up masculine, right? And then we, we, we kind of adhere to and you know, act based on those, those scripts that were prescribed, you know, and that becomes problematic in a certain way because if you don't follow the script, you're not playing along. What does it mean for a black man to break character? To take a loss, to take to, to take a loss, to put himself in a position where he could be harmed. To put unpack. unpack if black men are supposed to take a loss, right? Yep. Are they breaking character? I think that's the question. When you break character and you are not losing, because you're in some space, you are supposed to take a loss. Mm -hmm. Now, the I argue that the the black mental health question is about oppressive systems and also not being able to take a a um an, an individual loss. And I'm saying that. How do we deal with adversity in ways where um, a lot of this stuff is, is punitive? But here's the thing. When you break character as a black man, you know, you should, what, is it, what, it, what does it mean for a black man to break character? Not go along with the program, to push back on such things, to speak out, right? 
to, to disagree with narratives, right? To expose things, to tell the truth about, to speak truth to power. Like that's what it looks like for a black man, you know, to go against the grain. So when you do that, your loss is amplified because there's losses you're set up to take, but that's in a system. That's in an assembly of a system that's growing along. But then when you hop out of line, then the folk, you're the focal point now. So that's when the loss becomes magnified because you have more to lose. You, you're, you're more, you know, um, segmented. You know, you may lose, so you might be impacted professionally. You might be impacted financially, socially. Would you say that society wants black men to be subservient? Definitely. Definitely. Um, Society wants black men to be docile, um, subservient, docile, unimposing figures. Almost like to, I feel like to, to be neutered almost, right? Like wants us to fall in line and just follow a program that we're given. Why? So why? Why do you think why? Because one of the most powerful things on this earth is a a black man that knows who he is, knows the power he stands in. I bet you about to go somewhere. Yeah, one of the most powerful things is a black man that knows his worth, knows the power that he stands in, um, knows the worth that he walks in, is educated, is knowledgeable on how you know society works, is knowledgeable about processes and procedures in the government work, um, how economics works, how finances works, right? A black man that is, you know, well informed of how to navigate this world, the systems and the structures, that can be looked on as dangerous. That can be looked on as, you know, problematic. Why do you, why do you think that's such a dangerous thing? Because then you could spread it. You disrupt the social classes. You dis yeah. You disrupt social classes. Um, you disrupt economic classes, right? Because why why is that important? You have to think about. Look at the neighborhoods that we live in. Let's just start from a from a, a American perspective. Two minutes left. Yeah. Look at the neighborhoods we live in. From a from I'm talking about just from America, right? Because I'm not as versed in you know. A global sense, I have it, but I want to speak Foundation. on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we'll look at what we see from an American sense, right? Like, look at the communities we live in, look at how they're set up, look at how our housing is set up in inner city communities, urban communities all across the country, right? Um, we're placed in these, you know, projects, these experiments to see how we interact with these resources that put us into, um, uh, survival of the fittest mentality. So we fight with each other because we're exposed to low resources, different resources and communities that differ from us. So God, Lord forbid, you know, black men are allowed to understand who they are, who we are, educated, strong, aware, um, to be able to spread that. You disrupt the system and the social classes. So, so I think obviously I, I asked the question knowing knowing how you respond to it, um, but that's the becomes the important portion that specific programs geared towards 
um, the dismantling, the destruction, the dehumanization, the neutering of, of Black men are situated, to your point, to not disrupt specific social order. Mm -hmm. um, and if they became successful, um, it would be completely disruptive um, to social norms. Um, one last comment from this Jasmine Vega. Society, Go ahead. Society wants the idea of a strong black man, but when it's presented with one that knows how to lead, that has a defined unwavering school of thought, they say, not on my backyard. Hashtag feminism. Mm. We got two minutes, so that that could be its own uh, conversation. Um, uh, 30 seconds, to be honest. Um, so I, I, I appreciate the time. I don't want to be abrupt. I know we have 30 minutes. Um, it's, it's, I think that outside of us showing up today and before to have conversations of black, black male mental health, one of the important keys were not just about counseling and services, but also understanding the complexities in which black men may encounter specific situations where mental health becomes a question or their mental awareness. Um, I operate from the space of when you become more critically aware, more critically conscious of the context in which you are in, um, you are able to navigate and strategically move through the space. Um, but you have spaces that do not teach critical awareness, critical consciousness, um, critical conversations about race, um, gender, and ethnicity. Um, and, and it's complicated. Um, I don't want to, we have to be abrupt right now. Um, sorry that we're doing this in this way. Hopefully we have another time to um, continue the saga. Um, I'll let uh, Mr. Brady give his, his handles. Um, on Instagram, at Frank E. Brady, Facebook, Frank E. Brady, website, www.frankebrady.com. And if you're looking for me, just uh, call Frank. And, uh, November 17th. Yeah. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'm going to roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving because they ain't ready for your final version. I'm never going to give up, give up. Fall down, I just got to get up, get up. Because yeah. this is my role. Let's camera action, I'm ready to go I'm never gonna give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up